0: Hello and welcome to Russians with Attitude, your favorite show on Russian history, present and our future. Today we are going to talk about the bloody Baron, the white god of war, Khan of Death, insane Mongol dictator, the first man who put Eurasianism into practice, Baron Robert Nikolaus Maximilian von Ungern-Sternberg, or how Russians like to call him Roman Fedorovich. Ungern was born in 1885 in the family of Baltic-German aristocracy. His family liked to travel in Europe, so he was born in Graz, Austria. Let's listen to the man himself, what he had to say about his famous family line. Our family originates from the times of Attila. The blood of the Huns, Germans and Hungarians flows in the veins of my ancestors. One of the Ungerns fought alongside Richard the Lionheart and was killed under the walls of Jerusalem. Even the tragic Children's Crusade was not without our participation. Ralph Ungern, a boy of eleven, died in it. When the Teutonic Order appeared on the eastern border of Germany to fight against pagans, Slavs, Estonians, Latvians, Lithuanians, there was also my direct ancestor. Baron Galza Sternberg, two of our family members fell in the Battle of Grünwald. They were brave knights, prone to mysticism and asceticism. Many legends are associated with their lives. Heinrich Sternberg, nicknamed the X, was a knight-errant. Winner of tournaments in France, England, Germany and Italy, he died in Spain, where he finally found a worthy opponent a Spaniard who cut off his helmet along with his head. Baron Ralph Ungern was a pirate, a terror of ships in the Baltic Sea. Baron Peter Ungern also a piratic knight, the owner of the castle on Dago Island. From his robber's nest, he dominated all maritime trade in the Baltic states. At the beginning of the 18th century, a certain Wilhelm Ungern engaged in alchemy and he was nicknamed the brother of Satan for this. My grandfather was a, also a sea robber. He collected tribute from English merchants in the Indian Ocean. The British authorities could not capture him for a long time, and when they finally caught him, they handed him over to the Russian government that exiled him to Transbaikalia. That's a dark and twisted biography. It's from a book by Ferdinand Asindowski, a Polish journalist, traveler and writer, who personally traveled with him. He might exaggerate some stuff, but maybe, maybe it's all true. I will try to be as esoteric as possible, because Kirill is gonna stick with the factual stuff, but I gonna be channeling the Hollow Earth Agartha, the Mongol shamans, mind-controlling jungle cats, and the famous Eveles book against Theosophy. So be ready to get seriously woke. Kirill, please enlighten us. What are the official, blue-pilled version of young Baron Ungern's biography?
1: So I think we have to um, talk a bit more in detail about Ungern and uh, his family. So, as Pigdog already said, uh, the Ungern Sternbergs are a very old, noble family. They had a lot of uh, people connected to the family. There are still some of them um, in Germany and uh, in Sweden, I think. Um, so, the, the Russian uh, Ungern Sternbergs actually didn't have the best reputation. So, the great-grandfather of uh, Raman Fjodorovic, Otto Reinhold von Ungern Sternberg, well basically he served at the polish court and he was kind of a pirate and criminal who had been uh, imprisoned in spain i think by the english for smuggling and so on and later he was convicted of murder and exiled to uh, siberia yeah so he also had uh, children i think uh, one of them went back to germany and lived there another one stayed in russia and um, there were some corruption scandals. I think it was his grandfather, um, the father of uh, Theodor Leonhard von Sternberg, who was involved in a corruption scandal in St. Petersburg. Uh, he was a government official and embezzled some money. So the reputation this uh, family had was not the best, but still they were a Baltic German nobility, so they had a rather high social status in the Russian Empire. Because the Baltic Germans, they were very loyal, very patriotic people, um, as especially the events of the revolution showed. Ungern, uh, as I said before, he was born in Austria, but um, I think when he was two or three years old, uh, his family came back to Reville. So nowadays Tallinn in Estonia, parents divorced because they were not orthodox, since uh, Orthodox the orthodox church doesn't permit divorce. They were Protestants, and his mother, uh, she married again. I think someone from the family heuningen Huhne, Baltic-German uh, noble family. So he had very good relationship to his biological father, also to his stepfather. His mother died. He went to the Nikolaev gymnasium in Revel for a time, for two years but he was um, exposed from there because he stopped going to class and he was a pretty bad student overall. Later, he was put into the naval Cadet Corps, which he also didn't like. Um, he also picked fights with the students. Um, he w- did, didn't do well academically. And he also left that Cadet Corps without finishing it. And from then on, he became a NEAT. Until the Russia-Japanese war, where he volunteered for an infantry regiment, but that infantry regiment didn't fight at the front lines. So Ungern, because whatever else can be said about him, he was a man of immense martial valor. He specifically asked to be put in a Cossack unit that fought at the front lines. But by the time he reached Manchuria, the war had already ended, so he didn't get to fight once more. Um, then he uh, went into the military academy, which he finished with bad grades, but he finished it. And he became an officer in the um, Argun regiment of the Zabaikal Cossacks the Transbaikal, it's called in English, I think. The regiment commander, he was a relative of Ungern, so his um, academic uh, failures uh, were not as important because he could be just put there... By, being, by asking nicely, more or less.
0: There was literally nothing to do but argue with other Cossacks and fight in duels. And so he did. He challenged some comrade of his to a saber duel, which left him with an injured head. From this on, he suffered excruciating headaches and all his later life. In 1913 he took a leave and went to Kobdo, Mongolia. This ancient, wild, and barbaric land was his destiny. His goal was to take part in the nationalist movement of Mongols against uh, the Chinese. He was in close contact with the living Buddha, Jalama Hutuktu, who was leading Mongols in their fight against the Chinese. Jalama managed to do that, and for a time being he expelled the Chinese and made Mongolia a theocracy, if only for a short while. But in 1914, Ungern was alerted that World War One has begun, so he was going to immediately leave Mongolia and head west. Before he left Mongolia, though, Dugin says that Ungern visited a certain shamanes, who, in the state of trance, told Baron about his future fate. I see a god of war who rides on a grey horse through our fields and steppe. You are gonna rule over West territory, my boy, oh, you white god of war. I see blood, so much blood, blood and nothing else. White god of war is no more. All right, so
1: I think we have to um, interrupt these uh, Eurasian cabbage vodka ramblings with a bit of the good old European rationalism. So he went to Mongolia in 1913, hoping to join the national struggle against the Chinese, but he didn't do that, and he also didn't meet the Jalama, which is just... he was
0: friends, I saw that. (laughs) Stop making things up. It's uh, just European rationalistic uh, propaganda, what you're talking. We just presented you two versions of what happened. Uh, True version and false. And you must pick the right one for you.
1: While in Mongolia, in 1913, he was dressed um, in the Russian embassy there. Uh, he served as kind of a guard in the Russian embassy. The kind and
0: Kind of a god, yes.
1: <laughs> so he was an officer in the convoy. Um, so, yeah, that episode uh, was, well, quite boring, uh, despite what uh, later writers made up to make it more interesting. 31st Don Cossack Regiment, the most interesting part of his biography in World War One, because it is uh, one where he wasn't a criminal and a weirdo, but just a very heroic officer. And despite what uh, he did later or earlier, I think it's uh, the greatest period in his life, because uh, he was re- truly uh, heroic. So he fought on the Austrian front in Galicia. Uh, he was wounded five times, but always returned to the front. Several times, even without waiting out the allotted period, he had to stay in hospital. So basically, he fled from the hospital to get back into the fighting. He was given basically all medals and orders that an officer of his rank could have, including the Order of St. George, which is quite important. And not many people actually had uh, this whole collection of orders. So in late 14, he went uh, to the Nerchensky regiment, which is quite interesting, because uh, the commander of the Nerchensky regiment uh, was Baron Vrangel, uh, about whom you probably already know. We made an episode of him, the famous Black Baron.
0: So why did Vrangel decide to get rid of him and transfer him to Kafka's Caucasus front?
1: So uh, Vrangel, in his memoirs, he talks about Baron Ungern. He didn't like him at all because of uh, his uh, behavior. So Wrangel said that he was a drunkard. He was drinking way too much uh, than an officer should. He was always picking fights with uh, both federal officers and soldiers, which is absolutely something an officer should not do. And um, so to quote from Wrangel's memoirs uh, Ungern, having been brought up in an environment of cultural affluence gives the impression of a man completely disconnected from this environment so he was uh, kind of rude and weird he was basically being punished uh, all the time uh, many disciplinary measures many private talks Frankel had with him and uh, in late 1916 after the, some something he did again, uh, number 10,000, uh, he was finally uh, removed from the Nerchensk regiment and sent to the Caucasus front. Uh, I forgot to mention, in the Nerchensky regiment, not only um, Ungern was serving, but also another person who would soon become very famous, uh, the future Ataman Semyonov.
0: Yeah, and Ataman Semyonov also went to Caucasus
1: with him yes exactly so they were um near lake urmia in modern day iran they were involved in organizing and training volunteer regiments of assyrians who fought on the russian side against the ottomans this actually worked quite well as would be shown later again Uh, ungern had a natural talent for training orientals and he knew how to talk to them he, and he made very decent soldiers out of the Assyrians. But it was kind of too late because uh, the February revolution was well underway and the army was falling apart. So they were busy there and in summer of 1917 by order of the provisional government um they were sent to the far east to train national units so the national units were uh, saying that the provisional government did uh, ostensibly to improve discipline in the army right so uh, regiments in the russian imperial army were formed geographically and uh, the provisional government thought that it would improve Discipline and morale if they created national units of people who belong to one ethnicity So you had like Lithuanian, Latvian, Polish units, whatever and they did the same with the eastern ethnicities So they sent um, Simeonov and Ungern to uh, the Transpikal region to create uh, Buryat uh, units and Mongol units because Ungern already had some uh, experience in dealing with uh, mongol nationalities so they were busy doing this um, in october 17 um, before actually even before the bolshevik takeover um, he started uh, like creating a circle of monarchists or counter-revolutionaries in in irkutsk and uh, there it was that they found out about the October Revolution and the Bolshevik coup d'etat. And then from, then, from there, they, from Irkutsk, they went to Chita, and then to the train station Daurya, uh, which was basically a small village, um, but it was near an important railway junction. They became medieval robber barons. Uh, which, which is kind of cool, but uh, not really useful for like um, in a civil war situation that they found themselves into.
0: They were de-arming, uh, demoralized Russian forces, uh, the ones that uh, were left from the provisional government.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, they with uh, merciless Buddhist thugs. Actually, that's not true. They they uh, disarmed the garrison without any soldiers. There were like five people, and uh, only. Cossacks and uh, after taking over Dauria um, they started forming the special Manchurian detachment they started creating these national units foremost of Mongols and Buryats. This was all quite interesting because the Buddhists they were extremely anti-Bolshevik. For example um, I've read about a certain episode where a white officer was talking to a kaumik Volunteer the Don Cossacks. They had some Kalmyk units and it was a discussion between a Don Cossack officer and a Kalmyk volunteer and uh, basically their unit was uh, destroyed and the Don officer told the Kalmyk that he could go home to his village and the Kalmyk said that he can't do that because um, he has an anti-communist face so the Kalmyks and other Buddhists of Russia uh, were in extreme opposition to the bolsheviks especially after the communists burned down an important buddhist temple that was basically uh, the point at which all buddhists of russia declared total jihad against the communists
0: right so when did ungern become sympathetic to buddhism was it uh, in the don Cossack regiment
1: mm, i don't think that we exactly know when i assume Uh, that his interest in Mongol culture and religion began in 1913 when he was in Mongolia for the first time with the Russian embassy. I assume that this is where he became uh, accustomed uh, to Mongol traditions and such and became interested in them. It's quite interesting that he wasn't even Orthodox. He stayed a Lutheran all his life and he was never inducted into the Orthodox Church despite uh, basically being orthodox in all his views and uh, how he behaved. And he even had an orthodox marriage.
0: Didn't he have uh, orthodox symbols that he was flying at banners uh, later in Mongolia?
1: I think it's possible that he didn't convert uh, just because his family had been Protestants for like 500 years. That's a thing that often happened uh, in, in Russia or in other parts, where people, especially aristocrats, uh, state in one confession or in one denomination um, despite uh, serving uh, like a country or throne of another denomination just out of filial piety so basically after they took over the Uriah and they were like robbing caravans and fighting against um and then they had to retreat from uh, the Uriah. Uh, because uh, trains full of Bolshevik soldiers came from the front that was breaking apart, especially after the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, when the war, when Russia officially kind of dropped out of uh, World War I, and uh, soldiers all came home, and many of them were pro-communists, and uh, they formed like Red Guard units uh, near Daurya, and he and Simonov had to retreat to uh, deeper into Manchuria. They were somewhere near the river Onon, uh, which was in the border region near Mongolia. So uh, Transpaikal operation, which saw Semyonov uh, trying to defend, basically, the Transpaikal region against the communist offensive. Semyonov was attacking Nerchinsk in the direction of Chita, but eventually he was pushed back and uh, lost. Quite interesting because the commander on the other side, on the Red Guard, was uh, Sergei Wazo. and he was uh, killed in a very interesting way. So he was arrested by the Japanese, and uh, then they were given over to White Guard Cossacks. And uh, according to legend, Wazo um, was, well, he was burned alive in the furnace of a train. That's a very gruesome way to die, I believe. So anyway, after the unsuccessful uh, Transbaikal operation, um, in which Ungern participated, uh, Semyonov put his headquarters in Chita and gave uh, Ungern the rank of general major, major general, and uh, then where he formed the Asiatic Cavalry Division, which uh, was the unit that Ungern would command until his death, basically. Um, There he was uh, doing partisan raids uh, and waging guerrilla warfare on the Reds. More or less still kind of uh, living the rubber baron lifestyle, but um, yeah. Mm, He was a very strict, maybe even sadistic commander. He was uh, like shooting people for drinking and so on.
0: Yes, uh, what was always known Buddhist about Ungern is the way that he chose to deal with problems. He was uh, brutal in a way only uh, an ascetic man can be. About the drinking, I think it came a bit later, when the forces of Asgeti cavalry retreated to Mongolia, but
1: still. I want to continue. Mm, so basically... Ungern was at the head of the Asian Cavalry Division fighting the communists and in the first half of 1919 he was seeking allies all over Manchuria and China. Um, He met with Chinese monarchists. Simeonov was also meeting uh, Zhang Zolin, who was a powerful Chinese uh, warlord in the warlord era. Uh, He was more or less a dictator of Manchuria and later also become a military dictator of uh, the Republic of China for some time. And uh, he had started out as a bandit, which is quite funny. So yeah, uh, Semyonov was meeting him and he was also sometime later, I think in 28 or so, assassinated by the Japanese. But that's not important to our story here. Um, What's more important is that uh, Ungern was very much seeking to be friends with Chinese monarchists and secure basically provisions and arms for his army and he married a Chinese princess from the Qing dynasty the princess Z, I I have no idea if I'm pronouncing the name correctly, probably not but she was a a Qing, Qing dynasty princess and they married as i mentioned before the, the they had an orthodox christian marriage according to orthodox right and she was baptized and her christian name was Yelena Pavlovna ungern sternberg ungern didn't know chinese and um, she only knew english as mm-hmm. a foreign mm-hmm. language so they mm-hmm. so they spoke uh, in english Basically, uh, it was a kind of a political sham marriage, also very medieval, if I may say so. Princess Xi was a relative of a Chinese general, um, the general Zhang Kuivu, who was at that time uh, commanding officer of all Chinese troops uh, along the Chinese Eastern Railway, the KVGD, which at that point was still kind of Russian, and he was governor of Haiwar. What happened later was that All their plans amounted to not very much because in late 19 uh, the Reds were advancing again on Irkutsk. Uh, There was a rebellion in Irkutsk. The city was taken over by uh, the Menshevik troops and uh, Admiral Kolchak was shot by the Reds. And in early 1920 the Reds began a white offensive. They took Vrchny Udinsk. And uh, Semyonov's troops had to retreat back to Chita. There happened basically the last uh, great offensive on the Eastern Front, the Transbaikal offensive. Uh, Ungern uh, and Semyonov were participating um, in coordination with the troops of General Mauchanov, but um, the numerical superiority and the tactical advantages uh, were on the side of the Reds. So basically, the offensive failed, and there happened the most interesting thing that is still not completely clear what, how, and why it happened. Uh, Ungern's retreat to Mongolia in August 1920. Ungern's Asiatic Division uh, left Dauria and uh, left for Mongolia, which was uh, which had declared independence some years earlier, but which was at that time occupied by Chinese government troops uh, that were trying to destroy the mongolian independence movement there are basically two theories on how this happened Um, the main one is that uh, ungern was just crazy and uh, left the front and basically deserted to uh, from the civil war to do his own thing in mongolia like restoring the mongol monarchy and so on and the second uh, theory is that which is i believe uh, less um, probable is that uh, the his mongolian operation was supposed to be a deep raid into the soviet rear and that uh, basically it was coordinated with simonov and uh, Semyonov, who was deeply disappointed, uh, like officially, he said that uh, he spoke of Ungern uh, as being at head of a disappeared division and that he was, well, basically he called him a deserter, right? Because it was actually quite bad. Uh, the disappearance of Ungern's division left a huge hole in Semyonov's front, uh, which eventually led to the Reds defeating him. But there is a theory that this was just desinformatia and actually Semyonov had ordered him to do this, to do a raid against the Soviet Union, which uh, even if it was true, uh, like two months later, it would have become irrelevant because Semyonov had to retreat and there would have been no deep raid possible.
0: It's actually the third version because uh, Ungern had a clear plan to take control over the territory from the Transbaikal region to Tibet and to the east to Manchuria and train an army of uh, horseback fighters uh, to crush Bolsheviks and then Europe kind of like Golden Horde part 2 an idea of uniting Tibet, Inner Mongolia, Manchuria, Khalkhu and Shandong into a kind of middle empire dictated by an insane German Is Kino, you have to admit it, so (laughs) it's Dugin again, and you see, Ungern was woke, he knew that the earth is hollow, and there is subterranean land uh, called Agartha, located in the earth's core. Like Teutons and Templiers before him, Ungern decided uh, to guard Agartha's gates. You see, Mongols call their country Halha, which means uh, the shield. What is the shield's purpose? Mongol mission is to guard sacred Agartha against the western hordes of degenerates, uh, liberals and Bolsheviks. The sacred step, the shield of eternal truth. Swedenborg, a Swedish theosophical thinker, once said, only in the farthest eastern lands, Tataria, Mongolia, can you find a secret key to all mysteries and the mystical manuscript that was long lost by the humanity. That's called Book of the Wars of Yahweh. <laughs> it's true, it's true. So Ungern went uh, to Mongolia, that was uh, again dealing with the Chinese, uh, to its capital Urga, that is now, I believe, Ulaanbaatar, and stormed it with his horse. Uh,
1: it's actually it's, it's actually quite interesting the way uh, the, the conquest of Urga is... Uh... I think the last great episode in uh, Ungern's uh, military biography. So basically, in 1919, the troops of Zhu Shuzheng, I think it's pronounced, uh, who was also a Chinese warlord and uh, part of the Anhui clique. Uh, I I am not an expert on the Warlord Era in China, so I don't know what that means. But uh, basically, Urga was occupied uh, because in 1911 uh, Outer Mongolia had a national revolution where they declared independence, and the Chinese had reoccupied eight years later. Uh, yeah,
0: and Hutuktu, to the living Buddha, a great friend of uh, Ungern, was captured. Right, the Bogd Also. Did uh, his marriage to Z in any way help Ungern?
1: I don't think so. At that point, uh, you have to understand that the Warlord Era was like complete chaos. Uh, it was like uh, right. it was like medieval feudal anarchy on steroids, and every Warlord was completely sovereign in everything he did, and they they were all fighting each other. And they were like having alliances and wars uh, that could change from week to week. So it was a good idea to marry a Chinese princess and it probably uh, helped him uh, in some way because his uh, rear was protected from the side of the Chinese Eastern Railway, which was only taken by the communists like 15 years later or so. So that was a good idea, but it didn't really work out in practice. So basically, the Asiatic um, Cavalry Division in autumn 1920 went into Mongolia from the direction of Dauria. There was actually a tactical reason for Ungern to take Urga. It was not just because like he wanted to restore the Mongolian monarchy and free the Bogd Khan or whatever, but he had asked the Chinese uh, troops to let him through in the direction of Troitskasavsk, uh, nowadays Kharta which was also occupied by the Chinese, but is now a um, border town in Buryatia, right near the Mongolia-Russian border. And the Chinese had declined his request to let him through, so he decided to just take the city, because it uh, aligned uh, with his like personal goals anyway. First, there was an unsuccessful attempt at taking the city on October 26th, well, he didn't manage to penetrate the city's defenses, um, especially because there were like 10,000 Chinese and he only had 1,400 people. So there were like 10 times more Chinese than him. But um, we all know the quality of Chinese troops, so that doesn't mean all that much. Anyway, uh, his division was beaten in a fight um, and they had to retreat to the river uh, Gorchi tierlesch uh, nowadays, there's a beautiful national park there, as far as I know. So, in, over the course of two months or three months, he um, started training more people, recruiting more people to his division, locals, Mongols. It was reorganized. Uh, he acquired 12 machine guns and four pieces of artillery. And, uh, of course, uh, what's also important is that the Mongols in Urga, they supported him the mongols very much didn't like the chinese occupation regime and uh, there was also a sizable minority of russians in urga both colonists who had settled there and merged russian merchants and so on and also refugees who had fled from the uh, soviet occupied territory and uh, these were of course also supportive of a white guard force uh, liberating the city from the chinese anyway Did
0: they do sabotage
1: Um, they didn't do any material sabotage, as far as I know, but they um, were spreading rumors that Ungern had uh, a gigantic Mongol army of of 5,000 people who were coming for them.
0: But in actuality, it was 1,500 strong. Yes, exactly. Whereas uh, the Chinese forces were about 10,000 strong and they had a superiority in the... Uh, machine guns and so Yes, on. yes, yes, very so. much so.
1: So basically the c- commander of the uh, Chinese garrison in Uga was uh, General Chu Zhizhan. And he had under his command around 10,000 people, uh, 70 machine guns and 20 g- guns, uh, which is, of course, much more than uh, he had. Ungern's Asiatic division uh, consisted of um, six national units. Quite interesting. Uh, Tatar, regiment then a cossack regiment the mongol division the chakar division he also had a unit of tibetans and buryats they were put together for some reason i don't know and he also had a small japanese cavalry unit probably like people who were sent over through Semyonov who had ties with the japanese intervention and yeah then he had like a, a machine gun squad and a small artillery battery it's Funny, because uh, he had only four artillery guns, but the unit on paper was nonetheless called artillery division. Whereas the Chinese had three infantry regiments, uh, each uh, numbering 4,000 people, and a cavalry division of 3,000 people. So basically, it should be like 15,000, 16,000 people on paper, but I think a large part of them just deserted when they heard the rumors that Ungern was coming with a gigantic Mongol horde. Since Chinese probably have like blood memory of being, uh, of being destroyed yeah. by Mongols. Uh, so on February 21, he moved on Urga and uh, after heavy fighting uh, took the city. He uh, freed the Bogd Khan, uh, the was
0: great Hutuktu, who appointed Ungern as a dictator of whole Mongolia, the Han of war. Well, there, while uh, and stern Han Ungern begins his plan of restoring Halha the magical shield of the earth. No, this is not a hallucination, not a fairy tale. It happened. It is real, right. and it so, is
1: based. So the Bogd Khan is uh, basically the head of the Sangha of Mongolia. A Sangha is kind of like um, an autocephalic church, in uh, or an, like an archbishop in uh, western christian parlance so basically the head of buddhism in mongolia and traditionally he was also the third hierarch of tibetan buddhism after the dalai lama and the Panchen lama so he was the third most important person in tibetan buddhism right before storming the city um, a lama came to visit ungern actually a representative from the Khan. he brought him a hata or hatak uh, which is a traditional ceremonial scarf. It's a very old piece of ritual clothing, like it was used uh, in Tangriism by the Mongols and it was also important in Tibetan Buddhism. And he received a blessing from the Bogd Khan uh, to free Mongolia from the Chinese. Right, and after su- successfully doing so, he was actually given a noble title um, by by the Khan uh, which however did not translate into uh, any like actual power or anything or whatever he was
0: great Khan of War
1: he was uh, I, th- I think the title was defender
0: e- of Halha I, th-
1: I think the title was equivalent to a Duke or something anyway it was just in recognition of his um, of his support of the um yeah Um... So,
0: in Mongolia, uh, many of his division soldiers were tired, demoralized by the White Guard losses. Imagine you are Russian going with an insane German to Mongolia while knowing that uh, basically all White Guard forces were destroyed back at home. So, they didn't very much care for the secret mission of Ungern or the Mongols, and a lot of them started drinking, deserting, disobeying the orders, and so on. So, uh, the great Khan of War threw 18 drunken officers to the freezing lake. Some of them were obedient and hardened veterans, some survived, but most didn't. You see, typical shamanic practice is to swim in frozen lakes in winter, while being fully clothed. True shamans then come ashore and just dried their clothes uh, using their inner fire, the tapas. So Ungern tried to instill this shamanic practice for Russian officers, but unfortunately not that many of them um, became true shamans and died there of being frozen to death.
1: Yes, after taking Urga, there was a gigantic orgy of violence uh, where ungern's troops were just randomly killing and looting everything they saw and especially since uh, ungern had given the order to kill all jews they encountered they murdered all the jews in urga which was not only were there any yes yes they were uh, which is kind of the (laughs) stupid part it was incredibly stupid that uh, ungern permitted the jewish pogrom in urga because the jews who lived in urga were merchants who had fled from kolchak's siberia and they were refugees and they were financing the white guard so these were loyal pro white guard jews who were living in urga and uh, it was extremely counterproductive what happened there right and in general ungern became even more sadistic as time passed Basically, he used his Asian soldiers who were fiercely loyal to him at that point still to install a regime of terror in his division, especially against the Russian officers. He did many things that would have earned him, like, not even exile or the death sentence, but he would be hanged like a dog if he did that in peacetime or, like, in the regular army.
0: (laughs) And this is where the free segment of our podcast ends. Just admit it, you are hooked and you need to learn more to flex your newly acquired esoteric knowledge on a random art ho that you have a crush on. Free yourself from tedious American monoculture and subscribe to Russians with Attitude. Thank you.